Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. Welcome to Through the Keyhole, an OU fan podcast. I am your host, Peyton Guthrie. Uh, not joining us today is uh, our producer, Matt Burden, and the co-host, uh, Alan Kinney. Uh, we are doing uh, what is usually a Patreon-exclusive uh, interview style. Uh, today, I'll be joined uh, for an interview to talk about the Crimson and Cream NIL and the Student Athlete NIL Overarching Collective, or SENIL for short. But before I jump into that, I want to say that uh, I just finished running the Oklahoma City Marathon today uh, before this uh, recording, and I wanted to say uh, it's an amazing uh, event. If everyone hasn't had a chance to do that, you know, they have a 5K, a half marathon you can do, the full marathon. It's uh, obviously it's the Memorial Marathon, a run to remember. Uh, it is amazing to see the amount of people come together and put this race on and make everyone feel welcome to really show the, the community and to the world that one day of bad, of hatefulness and, and evil um, doesn't have to paint a picture for a city or for a state for the rest of its existence. Uh, it's fantastic to see that, uh, fantastic to see everyone's being so welcoming. So uh, anyone in the Oklahoma City area, the Norman area or Tulsa area, uh, who had anybody running it or had anything uh, working it or volunteering it uh, my hats off to you guys thank you guys so much for everything you've done and uh it makes uh, the sooner state uh, uh makes me proud to be from the sooner state um so transitioning into the interview now uh we've got jason belzer from a, a senile or student athlete nil um being very very gracious with his time to talk to us over here at through the keyhole and answer some questions just about the nil uh world and how shifting it is seems to be from my seat um, Jason, how's it going? Uh, how are you doing today, man? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing well, probably not nearly as tired as you are. So, yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. I've got some coffee. I've got tea. I'm, I'm trying to keep pumping through it, uh, as best I can. Uh, but I do have some questions for you. Uh, and again, guys, this is usually a type of, uh, podcast we have on the Patreon. So, uh, it's patreon.com slash through the keyhole, where we try to bring on some people who have expertise in the areas that, in which they, uh, you know, they represent to kind of give us a broader understanding of the machinations of college football, college sports. Um, and sometimes it isn't just OU specific, but it gives us a chance to kind of really dive into the system. Uh, so I want to start off with our first question. Um, so how is your team or or the network of collectives? I'm not really sure how, how you put that together or maybe just Sunil as a whole. Uh, how are they able to adjust to the state's legislative landscape as each state is introducing new bills or creating amendments to bills? You know, what's the biggest struggle that you're having in this process? Is it still just kind of a, you're walking on ice and it's kind of shifting around under you? I mean, how much are you guys 
trying to be at the forefront of this process? Yeah, so uh, we are we are at the forefront. I'll start with that, which um, I think helps mitigate any issues that we may have. Uh, part of the reason behind that is that, yes, there is state law that's constantly changing, but what we are seeing is a lot of deregulation instead of regulation. So it actually often makes our jobs easier when we are in a state where there is some sort of deregulation. Um, but what we have done is really set the example and the tone for the universities where we're operating, whether it's the University of Oklahoma or uh, Georgia Tech or Wake Forest or Penn State. We're out front of everybody else. And I think a lot of people are following our lead. So it's less of us having to react than maybe other collectives in other situations. That's really good to hear to knowing that you're you're, you're being proactive in, in that way. Uh, you know, California is trying to introduce legislation to consider uh, student athletes as employees to their respective schools, uh, you know, making it, you know, direct employment at that point in time. Uh, what is your personal line of thinking or maybe Sunil's kind of like a boilerplate uh, line of thinking when it comes to direct employment versus this current NIL model? Uh, or do you think both of those would be able to you know, uh, coincide with each other, maybe complement each other? Yeah, so the it's a very complicated question. Uh, and it's a complicated, we can see it because it's been a question and a battle for, you know, going on 20, 30 years. And, uh, you know, the Supreme Court is going to probably end up deciding whether or not student athletes are employees. Um, you know, from an NIL standpoint, let's just back up for a second and talk about what's happening right now. Our company currently operates around 30 collectives. We have more than a thousand student athletes that we are um, paying essentially as employees. They are technically by law, independent contractors, 1099 independent contractors, but functionally they are receiving a salary from us um, for lack of a better way of thinking about it. So. At Oklahoma, every single football player, include 115 student athletes, including 85 scholarship players and 30 walk-ons, as well as the entire men's basketball program is on a retainer contract with us. So they are receiving money every month. They are responsible for um, doing various things for us. So just as an example, last week during the Oklahoma spring game, if you were there and you got to go, after the event, we had an autograph signing exclusive for our members. So that was part of their deliverables. Now, really they are independent contractors of ours, but the reality is it's, it's beginning to blur the line to say, are we really just providing an employment opportunity for them um, without them being able to necessarily bargain on their side of the table? My personal belief is that student athletes in certain sports, likely men's basketball and football, will be designated as employees at some point sooner rather than later. Um, it's an extremely, extremely complicated and gray area because of the fact that if a student athlete is designated as an employee, for example, things like their scholarships become taxable, they can be fired at any point. Um, Every state has different rules and laws and different collective bargaining units. And the reality is that some states, including Oklahoma, 
because of the laws that they have on their books, I mean, it would literally go against if the Supreme Court ruled that a student athlete had to be considered an employee, it would screw up not only college athletics in the state of Oklahoma and a lot of other states, but it would screw up things like teachers unions and all kinds of right to work situations. It's a mess. It might be the most complicated problem facing, you know, from an employment standpoint ever is the reality, which is why it's not to be taken lightly. So all of that being said, what I believe, and part of what we are trying to do is move as quickly as possible to expand to as many institutions as possible to put the mechanisms, mechanisms into place to, if there is no employee employment situation, have as close to it as possible without crossing over the line. And if we do ever cross over the line because of a Supreme Court decision, that the transition to that type of environment is far less painful for all of the universities that we are operating at. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting way to think about it because I hadn't really quite put that together. You're talking about right to work and, and teaching unions and stuff. I think there's a lot of people who, um, I mean, even just the current situation, I mean, it's a hot topic right now, but the current situation that's going on uh, at the University of Colorado with uh, Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, uh, you know, they're losing like 70 scholarship athletes from last year. You know, the Pac-12 has it on their member institution books that they guarantee four-year four scholarships. Uh, uh, now, obviously, these players aren't being cut, but you can tell they're probably being very, very hard discussions are being had <laughs> saying, you will not play here type of a thing. Um, even in that is something that's kind of difficult to think about. Um, but on if, if any if we have any wrestling fans out there, the model that we're talking about here is basically just how like WWE uh, runs their stuff. All their wrestlers are under independent contractors. Um, the, the biggest thing that really hurts that process, in my personal opinion, is access to health care at that point in time. Uh, independent contractors, you do not have to. Uh, you could, but you do not have to in things of that nature, which I think that's what the state of California is trying to do make uh, beyond just the direct employment, making sure that those fringe benefits, which is tough, is included inside of uh, inside of any sort of long lasting, uh, you know, employment or uh, scholarship uh, attachment to a student athlete. I mean, I have to hire people at my current position and we're told, hey, these French benefits are anywhere from 30 to 35 percent on top of the salary that you're giving them. Yep. It's like that's something that a school has to think about saying all of a sudden, if we let's say we have a hundred million dollar salary for all these student athletes, it's actually 130 million. It's like, and where does that money come yep. from? And it keeps boiling up. Um, that That is stuff to kind of think about. Um, I do want to ask a very Oklahoma specific question to you. It, it's it's a political, uh, but uh, I'm I'm a Choctaw citizen. Most Native American uh, tribes have their own feelings about Governor Stitt, uh, but Governor Stitt of Oklahoma uh, recently vetoed an NIL bill uh, that would have allowed athletes to engage uh, directly uh, to a client or to a source of uh, income opportunity without an agent or without an agency. Currently, the bill is, I believe. Uh, in the state of Oklahoma, um, you must be represented by an agency or by an agent. Um, uh, it, what is the more, what, what's the more widespread version of the NIL? Is is this agency component something that's beyond just the state of Oklahoma? Uh, is this something that was kind of like maybe mistakenly added to our current NIL bill? Um, are you guys having to deal with the agents? Or are you guys acting as de facto agents at that point in time? 
Yeah. So, and I just want to go and um, just comment back on what you just said on our previous topic. The WWE is a fantastic example of the way that things are currently structured under NIL. Um, and there's what I believe to be a happy medium, which is you can absolutely guarantee medical rights to your student athletes without having them be employees. And that's what's going to happen, right? Like if schools are smart, they'll do that and they will allow NIL to continue to help take care of the compensation without having to create this employee-employee situation. Um, as it relates to the governor's bill and the fact that he vetoed it, one, it's going to get passed. Yes. There's no question about that. It's all just politics. It's just a matter of time. Um, there's a lot of layers to that bill. Um, and it's as much as it's, well, you know, I, I'll go back to what I said earlier in, in the conversation. It's a deregulatory bill. Mm -hmm. It is essentially allowing for greater freedom for universities and in turn us to be able to help to support the student athletes in bigger ways. And once that bill passes, you will immediately see um, shifts in the strategy around NIL that the University of Oklahoma and likely Oklahoma State and Tulsa and any other school are um, engaging in. Uh, we are prepared in that sense as well, but for the most part, it's not gonna really change what we do. We are an agency. We are an agency of record. I think maybe on our previous conversation, I mentioned that internally, our company doesn't refer to what we have as a collective or collectives. We refer to them as agencies of record, AOR. Okay. We yes, represent yes. all the student athletes at the school. And our job is to be able to represent them to three different parties or constituents. Those are fans, those are businesses, and those are donors. Those are our three um, clients, if you would say. Um, and so, you know, we operate in states where there's no regulation, like Georgia, and we work with Georgia Tech. We operate in states where there's pretty substantial regulation, like Pennsylvania with Penn State or even Oklahoma. It hasn't really changed anything. I mean, everybody's worried or says, you know, we have to follow the rules, but there's not one state, not one in the entire U.S. that has done anything as it relates to enforcing anything around NIL rules at a state school. And the reason is who in their right mind would put a state school at a disadvantage by coming down on them? Right. Like <laughs> I, I don't I, I'm not an Oklahoman, but I don't have any issue going on the record saying it would be political suicide yes. for the governor of Oklahoma or any state to do something that would affect their ability for a state university to do what they need to do for their student athletes. Yeah, I just listened to a podcast. Uh... I think it's called Ologies, where they were talking about the um, the legalization of the marijuana market in uh, New York yeah. uh, and talking about how there's a social justice component to that. So they're reserving these uh, basically uh, business licenses to people who have been put in jail before or faced any sort of uh, stops and frisk, uh, you know, uh, overzealous, you know, enforcement and things of that nature to say, hey, you were doing something, quote unquote, illegal at that point in time. It's legal now. We want to give you a chance to set up a a, a correct business at that point in time. Uh, but and, the issue and, is that this gray market has developed 
and the state has decriminalized it. So you really can't go after it, even though they're operating illegally because they don't want to go after it. And it becomes this little Ouroboros of the, you know, the snake eating its own tail to a certain degree as that market is trying to develop. That is another fantastic analogy. And a colleague of mine that works in the business used a very similar one. If you go walk down the street right now in New York City, you will smell marijuana everywhere. Yeah. And because it's legalized and it's decriminalized. The thing is that probably 90% of the marijuana that you smell is not being purchased at a dispensary legally. It's still being purchased from a dealer. And so that's sort of what's happening in NIL is that literally 95% of NIL is done legally and then the rest of it is not. And because of the deregulation, nobody knows what to happen. Eventually, and this is maybe the example of the, the law and the, the collectives are going to, just like a dispensary, if there's enough dispensaries, eventually it becomes, there's a process and it becomes done the right way same thing with the collectives right like eventually again even at the university of oklahoma is a great example 90 percent i would say probably closer to 95 of the money that student athletes will earn at the university this year in nil will come through crimson and cream um and that's good because yeah. it's you know if we're we're providing all that information to the university we're making sure that student athletes are not being taken advantage of that's what we want Enjoy great food and drinks at the original Norman Hotspot and its first cocktail bar. Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails is our choice for quality meals and drinks to enjoy the next time you're looking for a great night out. With locations in historic downtown Norman on Main Street and the Paseo Arts District in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma fans from all over the metro can enjoy Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails. Also, be sure to pick up or ask about Scratch's ready-made old-fashioned cocktail at your local wine and spirit store. Take the best Scratch concoction home to sit on your lounge chair and continue listening to this episode scratch kitchen and cocktails great food drinks and atmosphere yeah the the, the one uh hold in the own the comparison i made is that you know the state of new york and new york city are off uh are offering tax credits and will be expecting tax incentives back from these companies so eventually yep. the state will crack down on these on this gray market because they are missing out on money um yep you know the nil market I don't know if they'll ever reach to that level, but I mean, I, I live in Durant, Oklahoma. We have a population of 19,000 people and we have over a hundred dispensaries uh, because we are five minutes from uh, the Texas border. We're an hour and a half from Dallas. Texas doesn't have it. It's a big popular, I mean, Oklahoma, you know, the, the marijuana business is big and booming <laughs> in the state of Oklahoma. I can only imagine what it's like in uh, New York as well. I think that the government will crack down for the same reason a month ago or not even a month ago, right? Two weeks ago, it was tax day. How yep. many student athletes do you think filed their taxes for all the money that they made in NIL this year? I would venture to guess that maybe maximum 25% was actually reported. 25% of a billion dollar market. Yeah. So that's $750 million in potential tax revenue that has not been reported. Absolutely, the government wants a piece of theirs. NIL is the greatest redistribution of wealth in history behind only social welfare and Medicaid. And so we are compensating the football team at the university 
multiple seven figures. There has never been that much money infused into the Norman community amongst 18 to 22 year olds ever, right? You don't think that <laughs> the, the Norman and Oklahoman government and the United States of America want to make sure that they're getting their piece of it? Absolutely. So they just haven't figured out, oh my Lord, how much money is coming in just yet. Yeah, it's uh, that reminds me just of, of, a, of a piece of, uh, with, I had a, um, I apologize. I did a, an earlier podcast, maybe about a year ago for Rob Bowron of uh, Sharp College Football and even talked about the idea that our current collective, the, the, the current way, this is before NIL really took off, um, of doing things is still uh, disproportionately uh, distributing wealth to upper class uh, white families, basically. He's like, there's a lot of yep. black football players who are then funding because of Title IX and how you know these scholarships must be given and things like that. Swimming teams and cross country teams, like these people are getting free rides because of the work that's being happening by the men's basketball teams and the football teams, things like that, which are predominantly African American at that point in time. Yep. Uh, it's like, and what you see that is that you still see this kind of modern day indentured servitude to a certain degree. I say that lightly. Please, guys, don't clip that and like run with it. But it, it is kind of there's people who are not being um, given their fair due for the they're not. It, it's kind of like the uh, entitled to the sweat of your brow type of a type of a situation at that point in time. Sure. And I, I will defend you on your last uh, point about 11 years ago now, in 2012, I wrote an article um, in the Santa Clara Law Journal that eventually was published in Forbes called National Letter of Indentured, which mm -hmm. we compared student athletes to indentured servants. And Joe Nocera of the New York Times took that article and transformed it into a book called Indentured. And that helped along with Taylor Branch's The Shame of College Sports accelerate um, NIL. And so I've been saying it for a long time, absolutely. Student athletes for the longest time look like indentured servants. That's beginning to change, fortunately, because a lot of them are now receiving compensation. And, and it may not be fully fair market value, but it, in many situations, it's, it's approaching that. I think most of our listener base uh, would be more familiar with the South Park episode uh, uh, than, yeah. um, the, than the books you just mentioned. But those are things I do want to check out now. I, I very much enjoy uh, reading about the, the ins and outs of that. I have two secret questions I want to toss at you. Uh, one is now, one will be after uh, our scheduled question number four. Uh, you said you've got over 30 agents of record. You're, you're expanding and growing this uh, you know, a student athlete NIL uh, uh, organization. Is there any interest whatsoever into looking at that and realizing, looking down, saying, hey, we have thousands of student athletes now in which we are working directly with. We're understanding their issues, their problems, what's going on. You talked about being on the forefront of legislation and trying to get in front of these legislators, these senators, these House reps, uh, and trying to talk to them and kind of walk them through and hopefully help shape some of this uh, you know, state legislation and potentially federal le legislation for all this stuff, as you mentioned um, there's just going to be another Supreme Court case uh, regarding NCAA pretty soon. Is there any interest for your group uh, to think of it as like a, a collective bargaining agreement or a CBA, knowing that you yeah. have so many of these students who are under your uh, agency or under your care to a certain degree? Yeah, so the short answer is that we're very conscious of that. And, you know, every day, the more student athletes that we sign and the more schools we work with, we that becomes stronger. Um, mm -hmm. And it's 
certainly something that we have to also be careful of um, because we're being stewards of this. I will say that I wholly believe that many of the politicians that have, you know, voiced their concerns about NIL are simply doing it because they want to be in the news. And, you know, what was it a month ago that there was that congressional hearing? If you watched it, it was it was a circus. (laughs) I mean, that's what it was. Like, and and I mean this in the most humble of ways, they had, you know, as an example, Jennifer Heppel, who I know really well, she's the commissioner of the Patriot League, and she testified. There might be two or three athletes in the whole entire Patriot League that have done an NIL deal. Why, why wasn't, why wasn't I called to have a conversation there? Why wasn't Jim Cavell of Influencer or Blake Lawrence of Open Doors? Why weren't the handful of people that are actually doing and on the ground you know, it's again, it's uh, it just seems to be a little bit of a dog and pony show. But I would venture that at some point we're going to hit a critical mass sooner rather than later where we're going to be able to say, hey, you guys better start listening to us because um, and again, we always want to do what's in the best interest of the universities and the student athletes. We're very conscious of that. Um, you know, Crimson and Cream has been very successful because the university knows that we are doing by right by them and by sooner student athletes. Uh, continuing back onto our, the questions I sent you, uh, <laughs> uh, the NFL draft uh, is now over at this point in time and more and more talent is being collected. Uh, and, I, and I think I added here, some would say hoarded in the SEC in the, in the big 10 conferences. I mean, that's always been kind of it, but as you're seeing the last five years play out, it is becoming more and more clear. This is a power two conference and the SEC adding Oklahoma and Texas, the Big Ten adding uh, UCLA and USC. Um, you know, the Pac-12 is depending on which Big 12 blogger you're listening to on its last shaking legs. Uh, it does seem like everything is moving that way. I know when the NIL market first came into being, everyone thought, hey, this is an opportunity for these other schools now to kind of bubble up and rise up and, and you, you maybe see some more parity in college football. And it seems to not have played that way at all at this point in time, because these NIL markets are larger at the schools that are larger, larger at the schools have historically been good and have historically already kind of been doing a, uh, I'll continue to use the word gray market, uh, way of making sure these student athletes were being, uh, you know, uh, uh, compensated. Um, but do you, do you think that trend is going to continue uh, inside this NIL of saying, hey, Georgia, Alabama, Oklahoma, Ohio State, so on and so forth. These are the schools and this NIL is probably going to even cause it to fracture into a power one eventually. Another uh, complex question. So a few things. 100% correct that the SEC in terms of NIL dollars funded by dollar donors has got out ahead of everybody else. They are bigger pots, wider pots, um, particularly football, obviously strong, but we've seen it right now in basketball with the transfer portal. Yeah. Holy, holy crap. Um, there is some serious money being thrown around. There's one SEC school that has pulled out more than about two and a half million dollars in deals for basketball, which is just crazy. Um, that being said, yes, they will always have a strong donor fueled base. But what's going to end up really happening is that 
as every day that goes by is another day that more and more brands come into the space. And, and I, I, I won't say who it is, but just as an example, we, our company runs the NIL Summit at the College Football Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And we just locked in a brand that's going to be our partner this year for next month's event, a huge national brand that has not done anything in NIL um, that is now coming into NIL to work with us. Um, that is going to, five years from now, it's not going to be the donor money that's going to continue to fund everything. It's going to be the real business revenue. Yeah. And quite frankly, I don't know how many businesses are going to care more about working with student athletes in Knoxville or Starkville or Athens than they are in the major media markets. Um, and so there's going to be some institutions that you wouldn't think would do well in NIL that are actually going to have some advantages because of the place that they're located. Um, you know, if I'm a major brand, I want to be in the New York media market. Well, who do I have to go to? I probably have to go to Rutgers. If I want to be in Chicago, I probably <laughs> yeah. have to go to Northwestern. Uh, and it may sound crazy, but it's actually pretty believable because that's how things work. That's why those institutions were brought in to those conferences in the first place because of where they are from a media perspective. So the donor money is not going to be around forever. It's going to dry up sooner rather than later. And that's when we're going to see a shifting. But yes, it's likely that the SEC is going to have a pretty substantial hold for the immediate future on NIL. Yeah, there's something uh, when when the Big Twelve, uh, Big Ten was making its big moves, and everyone's saying, "Well, who's the next? To who else are they getting?" And uh, I believe some very smart people uh, just did not come to any sort of shape or anything. But a lot of really smart people were saying you should really keep an eye on Georgia Tech. <laughs> if if the Big yep. Ten really needs to make a move, Georgia yep. Tech is a move they need to. You're in Atlanta; it's the air, you know, it's airport hub at that point in time. You enter into the south, you know, southeastern recruiting grounds. Uh, and you can just basically invade the SEC in that manner. And plus, a great academic school fits their profile in which they would want to have with their member schools at that point in time. Um, but everyone just, just gets their – everyone just thinks, oh, Oregon, Washington, because they're good at football. It's like, well, there's more – there's levels to it. There's more than just, just that. You're also you know, no. planting seeds for future growth and future harvest. I, I, I mean, I, w- I would probably – you know, obviously, Nordic – Dame, we're off topic yes, a little bit yeah, here, but I would yes, say Notre yeah. Dame because it's Notre Dame. But outside of Notre Dame, Georgia Tech would probably be the next one, and Washington follow that because that's two major media markets, and that's all that matters. It's yeah. media markets. Uh, so the last sneaky question is: uh, the, the first time we brought you on, I, I asked at the very end, "Where does Oklahoma stand uh, as it enters into the SEC?" Uh, you painted a. Uh, uh, as just a fan of Oklahoma, a grim picture. <laughs> I think you said they're like 10th-ish or something along that nature, just of where they are in IL. I think OU was almost like almost a full calendar year behind getting started for, for this stuff. Uh, there has been some time that's past that. Uh, OU has had some major fundraising. I know Crimson, uh, the Crimson NIL is, uh, uh, Crimson and Cream NIL is here. Uh, they're moving, they're, they're having events and things of that nature. Where is the health um of OU's NIL collectives uh, or agents of record as it's moving into the SEC as it stands now? So operationally, I would say that if, if we we're going to pretend that Oklahoma is already in the SEC, 
I would say that we rank number one. Um, and I can attest to that in a lot of ways. Number one, we were the first, and I believe are still the only institution that has signed every single football player to a pretty substantial base opportunity. That's number mm-hmm. one. Number two, last week, there was an article that came out that um, talked about how many collectives and what percentage are signing female student athletes. And Crimson and Cream ranked number one in terms of total percentage of student ath- female student athletes that have been signed uh, nationally, not just SEC, but nationally. Number three, we have a, and, and it's not a huge deal, it's a six-figure deal, uh, but we are going to announce in the next couple of weeks a deal that involves um, four to six full teams at the university, uh, and it's the largest deal ever across a university at NIL. Um, so operationally, we're at an A+. I would say that from a financial and fundraising standpoint, we're probably at a B, B plus. I do think that there are some schools that are behind. Um, and I do think that we still have quite a bit of ways that we have to catch up. Um, but we're certainly doing okay based on everything. Um, we'll be okay this year, but Mm -hmm. you know, you gotta, you gotta reload, right? It's like, it's not a rebuild. It's a reload. So we have an entire football roster signed. We got to go reload next year and sign everybody again. That's not going to be easy. Yeah, it's anytime you're, let's say uh, for, for the listeners, uh, there's a small business you're liking and they seem very popular. They're really working and one day, quote unquote, out of the blue, they shut down. And then, then you find out, hey, they're making their money back. Making your money back is a failing business. <laughs> you know, just doing enough to cover cost is not something you want to be at. Uh, yep. You need to be doing, you know, magnitude, you know, orders of magnitude over just the cost collection at, at that point in time. It does seem that that is a a strange thing for for fan bases to kind of handle because they're thinking, hey, you're paying for everything. Everything's being paid for. It's like, well, you can never get out ahead. You know, you can never get out to where you're needing to do this stuff. Um, I will say for just from my side and things that I know that University of Oklahoma, especially the football team, uh, doesn't necessarily want to get into quote unquote bidding wars or anything like that for, for athletes. They do a very good job of getting the people who, you know, fit their culture and fit who they want. Uh, they don't, they don't ever want to be into a, uh, just out of straight, you know, just out of straight hater aid in a, a Texas A&M situation where you've signed this whole class and then half are gone the next year. <laughs> you, you just also don't want to be in that situation uh, because money being having to reload, you also got reload talent and then talent means, are you winning on the field and winning on the field, means money and then it all just kind of snowballs in into itself so um i, I want to say thank you again for uh taking the time out of your day to uh to coordinate this with me on on the weekend on a, uh, on a beautiful sunday at least out here in oklahoma city uh i, I want to say thank you for uh you know giving uh uh through the keyhole a chance to to do this publicly and have your uh, voice out and uh you know it helps us hopefully it helps uh what you guys are over at snail and uh, crimson and cream nil uh, are, are, are doing and making sure that we're able to support the uh, the university and the football team and the mainly hopefully I mean you mentioned a lot about the men's basketball team and the football team hopefully I, I don't know if you can answer this or is the softball team signed do we have them going on do we have a few of them what's what's up with the softball team yeah so we've done deals with all of softball all of gymnastics all of women's basketball they have all engaged and worked with us so yes 
Awesome. Yeah. Like, uh, like I said, we've done more deals with female student athletes than any other collective in the country. So OU fans, if you're not already signed up, sign up for Crimson and Cream NIL, uh, crimsoncreamcollective.com. Support the team, support the university. Uh, that's it's I mean, it's your chance to you know put up or shut up, put money where your mouth is. If you're going to be that emotionally invested to where you're throwing remotes and being angry and you know mean tweeting people, uh, help fund the team, help fund you know the, these uh, initiatives so that um, OU can stay competitive as they enter into. Hey, we're not we're not being any jokes about it. Very uncharted waters as we enter into the SEC. I mean, just go look at the draft stuff. Georgia and Alabama are putting ten people in. OU's putting five people in. It's just. There's just a talent disparity there that OU needs to bridge this gap, and NIL is one of the main ways of doing it. Uh, Jason, I want to say thank you again one more time, um, and I'll end this as I always do. Uh, thank you for Matt. Thank you for Alan. Thank you uh, for uh, Snell and Crimson Cream NIL um, for everything you guys do. And I guess we'll sign off as always. Boomer!